All right, good morning, everyone. Good morning. Let's see, we are just a little bit past time. We might as well go ahead and get started today. <coughs> we will begin, as always, with the invocation and prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Okay, well today we are going to be learning about that very prayer that we just prayed, the Lord's Prayer, and um, start by just... uh, well, it, you know, in the very beginning, just locating where exactly we find the Lord himself teaching this prayer. Um, and that's going to be in Matthew 6 and Luke 11. Matthew 6 and Luke 11. You're going to notice that the Lord's Prayer in the Gospel of Luke is a bit shorter. It's a bit shorter than, uh, the, than what we find in Matthew. Um, but in any case, that those are the two places where we, where we find our Lord himself teaching this prayer when the disciples ask him how they should pray. So I wanted to just start by opening this up just a little bit. What does it mean to pray? What is prayer? Let's throw some ideas around. What, what do we think of when we think of prayer? Chris, you've got the mic. Why don't you go first? We're just... Uh, Petitioning God and asking and blessing not only us, but mostly blessing him for all that he's given us. Sure, okay, yeah, petitioning, yep. What else? What else comes to mind when we think of prayer? If you had to define prayer, if somebody asked you, what is prayer? What would you say? Just very succinctly, a nice definition. Talking to God. Talking to God, yes, okay. Conversation with God, yep. Paula, what was it that you had said? Speaking God's word to him, okay? Okay. Yes, what Luther, the way that he defines prayer in his larger catechism is simply calling on the name of the Lord. Okay, calling on the name of the Lord. And so what that means is, so we're calling on his name, we're remembering, in fact, who he is and what he has done for his people. Okay, his mighty acts of redemption and those things that he continues to do even today. And so, since we're calling, this is a confirmation question, since we're calling on the name of the Lord, what commandment are we keeping in mind in particular here? Alice. First commandment. First commandment, yes. Okay, yes. And what else? There's one in particular I'm thinking of, and Luther too. What other commandment? When we're calling on the name of the Lord, what are we doing? Which commandment are we obeying? Other than the first one, of course. The second commandment. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. That implies there is a right use of God's name. And indeed there is. We are calling on his name. We are um, invoking him and coming to him in time of need. Okay, we're coming to him with the things that we need, the things that we want, the things that we desire. Okay. And we are, in doing this, we are, in fact, obeying the second commandment, okay? Um, very important that, that we see that and that we, that we understand it as such, okay? So let's flip open to our small catechism 
to page 231. And uh, Lord willing, Pastor, Pastor has really set me up with a great task. We're going to th- try to make it through the entirety of the Lord's Prayer today. <laughs> so, uh, I could use your prayers. Uh, <laughs> um, so, page 231 is where we're going to start. Page 231. And um, as Pastor likes to do, I, I think it would be worthwhile to take a look at the image, the little icon that we have there on page 231. Okay, so we've got one large hand coming down with a cross right in the palm of his hand. And we've got two hands, uh, two smaller hands being lifted up. Okay. And biblically, this is a very good um, uh, picture of how, how it is that, um, especially the priests in the Old Testament would pray. They would open, their ha- open up their arms like this and, and pray to petition to the Lord like this. Now, p- p- um, I believe that there, well, I don't want to say that. What I will say is that the way that you position your body um, as, as New Testament priests, uh, the royal priests in Christ, that is not commanded. It's neither commanded nor forbidden. Although it is important to see that we do use our body in prayer. Okay? We pray with our body. Okay? So the, the way that you position yourself um, when you pray um, is included in that act of calling on the name of the Lord. Okay, so kneeling, opening your arms like this, praying to the Lord, or bowing just like this, like the, like the publican who refused to, to look up, you know, like the proud Pharisee, he looked like this, would not look up when he was praying to God. Uh, both of these are, are good um, uh, penitential, reverent uh, ways of, of speaking to God like this, or, or like this, bowing your head. Uh, both of these are, are good, right, and salutary. And, of course, you know, just closing your eyes, maybe uh, praying with your hands in your lap, just like that, bowing your head. These are all good, right, and salutary. But we, that is something that I want to emphasize more just in my own devotional life, is actually praying with your body, okay? Incorporating your body in that act of prayer, calling upon the name of the Lord, okay? Seeking the things of God, right? So we've got these two hands coming up, seeking those things which God is giving us, out of the palm of his hand. And, of course, the foremost, the chief thing is, is Christ, right? The things that he gives, the things that we receive in and with Christ. Because, again, as St. As Paul says, I, I quoted it in my, in my sermon last Wednesday, but um, he who has given us his own son, how will he not also graciously with him give us all things, right? So we are to come to him. Um, and, and, you know, Luther, I really love this in his, in his larger catechism. Um, he gives us really three overarching reasons that you see throughout his treatment on the Lord's Prayer, reasons why we should come and pray to him, okay? And as 21st century pragmatic Americans, we ought to like this, okay? There's three reasons why you should come and pray to God, okay? First of all, it's because he commanded it, okay? As we said in the beginning, his second commandment, the, the Lord has commanded you to use his name rightly, okay? To use his name properly, Okay? Not to, of course, cloak and disguise lies and deceit with his name okay? and, and to profane uh, God's name by wrong teaching or, or a, a, an unlo- ungodly life. Those things also profane the name of God among us. Um, but, God ha- so, but God has commanded right use of his name, na- namely coming to him. He has demanded us to come to him and seek things from him. Okay? On pain of his wrath, we are... We would experience the wrath of God if we do not come to him and ask things of him as his children, okay? Um, 
The other reason, a second reason, is that God has everywhere said uh, that he will help us. He will give us the things for which we pray. Okay, you can look at Psalm 50, as Luther does. You can look at um, Matthew 7. You can look at John 14, John 15 in the farewell discourse. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Okay? Even in St. James, you find this too. You, you, you have not because you, uh, you ask not, or you ask with impure motives. Right? God wants to be gracious to us. He wants to open his hand and give us all manner of good things. He wants to do this. And this should spur us and enkindle a love and, and burning delight in God and coming to him in prayer, right? To seek good things from him, okay? And, um, and you know, and a third reason that Luther uh, outlines in his larger catechism is that the devil and the world and our sinful nature are always at war with us, okay? We should be spurred on by our great need that we experience, Okay, we should, we should see these things, our foes, uh, and the way that they incessantly attack us, and let that drive us in addition to, to the Lord in prayer, to call upon his name. Okay, um, so these, these three things, overarching themes that you find in, in Luther's uh, larger catechism when he touches on the Lord's Prayer. Um, just a, a couple more um, things that we might say about the Lord's Prayer, and, and with, without any denigration to the high priestly prayer in John 17, the, the Lord's Prayer, as we have it, you, could, you, you might say that this is, in fact, the summation of all prayer. Okay, you might say that it is the perfection of prayer. All the psalms, all the prayers of the saints, everything um, finds its fulfillment um, uh, you know, in, in all the instances when the saints of God call upon the name of the Lord. They all find their fulfillment and tell us in the Lord's own prayer that he himself teaches us to pray. Okay. And it's a, just a beautiful thing um, in its own right that the Lord Jesus himself gives us, even when we don't know how to pray, our Lord himself would see, would see to it that, um, that he would give us the very things for which we pray, for which we should pray. He puts his own words into our mouth, as it were, right? And he gives us this priceless treasure to call upon the name of, Lord, of the Lord with. Um, it's, it's just a beautiful thing. Um, so, in any case, uh, yes, it, it is very fitting for, and you know, Luther will also say this, that strictly speaking, there is no such thing as a Christian who does not pray. There is no such thing as a Christian who does not call upon the name of the Lord. Okay, we all do this as Christians. Even at the very beginning of our Christian life, uh, when we were baptized, we were claimed as God's own, God sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, right? And we pray to God to deliver us from our sins and to have mercy on us for the sake of his son Jesus, who has paid for all of our sins and lived that life that we cannot live. He's made atonement for us. Even at the very outset of our Christian life, we begin it with prayer. God have mercy, right? And um, we continue that prayer throughout our Christian life. Um, but in any case, any, any thoughts, any reflections on, on the things that I've just, prepared bef- uh, just, just presented before we uh, dig into the small catechism a little bit? Yes, Dale. One of the uh, one of the digs that you sometimes hear people give to uh, to Christianity and really to theism generally is, well, if God is omniscient and knows everything, why do you need to pray to Him? What's the you know? It's like we're contradicting ourselves. We because He already knows what we're going to ask. So what's the point? 
Yes. And, and why, you know, it's like, does he need to have us give him information? <laughs> well, certainly not. Certainly not. Uh, well, again, uh, in the first place, God has commanded it. He has said, you will pray. So that, that in itself, you know, if we don't want to have the wrath of God and um, have him pour out judgment against us, uh, we, would do, we would do well to heed that commandment and, and, and call upon his name. Um, another thing, too, is, you know, when you're in relationship with somebody, especially think of your spouse or maybe, maybe a really good friend, is it ever a good sign when there's nothing but silence between you two? Gentlemen, if you ever come home and your wife, uh, you say, honey, how are you today? And you get silence. Is that a good sign or is it not? No, I don't think. I don't think. Yes. It is an element of relational mm-hmm. back and forth. And it has to be nurtured in little children, mm-hmm. from my viewpoint. Um, otherwise, you have a husband that does not speak to the wife. Mm-hmm. And uh, um, I'm, I'm thinking that, again, to, to advocate, as, I, as you've heard me say before, what goes on in our Lutheran schools. I don't, do we have Lutheran schools still? We do, yes. yes. Good. Well, I'm encouraged to hear that. <laughs> Could I go back and teach again? <laughs> um, but uh, there's, there is dullness that is allowed in little children's lives mm-hmm. if we don't expand their experiences with... Um, now we can do it this way, or you can do it, you know, use your imagination. I think as parents, we sometimes allow dullness to just reign in our families. And uh, it's, you've got to be, adults have to be nurtured mm-hmm. to be, or to be encouraged is the better word, mm-hmm. to uh, <clears throat> make uh, life grow for the little ones. Thank you. Yeah, very good. Yeah, I appreciate that. And um, I would say, just to kind of buttress what you've said, um, it is incumbent upon the head of the household to uh, lead his family in prayer and teach the children and everybody under the house uh, uh, how to pray and lead them in that and uh, teach teach them what it means to call upon God. And um, you know, something that, that I've adopted, and, and uh, not, a, not a few seminarians as well, people in my class, for example, um, we have determined to actually set apart a little space in our house for uh, what's called a prayer altar. Okay, so we have just a little table and maybe a, a wall-mounted crucifix or an icon of Jesus or a tabletop crucifix. Maybe burn some incense when we do it, right? Just, you know, just as the prayers of the saints are like incense, to the Father, okay, they, they are pleasing to Him, right? And when we burn incense as well, um, it's, it, it signifies divine presence, right? We're coming into the presence of God. Um, and we, we, we smell, it engages our sense of smell with the incense. And um, um, another thing too, uh, you know, when, you're, when you get close enough to somebody, what tends to happen? You can smell them, right? Sometimes, hopefully it's a good smell. Um, <laughs> But yes, when you burn incense, you recognize that you're coming into the presence of God. And when you send up these, a sacrifice of prayer and praise and thanksgiving, this is pleasing to God our Father. He delights in it, just as we delight in the smell of the fragrant incense. 
right? So it's a very holistic practice, and um, uh, it's, I, don't, I don't always do the best job of this, but um, you know, I seek to lead my family uh, in, in prayers that way and, and to, to bring them into the delight of coming to the Lord in prayer, right? And, and fostering that in them is something that I seek to do. So it's a good practice, I think. Maybe not, you know, maybe, you know, uh, just hear, hear me right. I mean, I'm not saying you have to do this or anything like that, but it's a, it's a pious devotional practice, I think. Yes. Um, one of the advantages I've always found is that verbalizing it helps me to sort out mm-hmm. what I need. I mean, that's the way I, I come to decisions. You know, when I was working and talking about decisions, I would talk it out mm-hmm. with you know, the other person or any other people that were involved right. in the decision, even though the ultimate decision might have been mine. Mm-hmm. I found that talking it out helped me frame what it was I wanted. Absolutely. Um, the other thing I wanted to mention is that um, uh, early in our relationship, um, we were in a Bible study group, and one of the things that we did was for the National Day of Prayer, mm. Um, we asked the church um, and the school for prayers that they wanted us to pray, and then we set up, um, everybody um, prayed for an hour, oh, wow. you know, in a series, you know. Mm-hmm. So you'd sign up for an hour and you'd pray, you know, and then somebody else, somewhere else, didn't always, didn't wasn't necessarily at church, you could do it at home or work or whatever, but you were supposed to pray for an hour and i found that a very educational moving experience where my job for one hour was to pray <laughs> you know you you kind of it's it's interesting you know you run out of things to pray fairly quickly and then you have to open yourself up and you dig deep and mm. i found it very very moving to do that wow yeah well that's uh, I, I can certainly see how it would be a a very, that would, I, I imagine that was a very intense experience. Yeah, I, I imagine it was. They well, helpers too. They would post. I remember if we did a chapel for the little kids, and they were allowed to write on these praying hands what they wanted prayed about. So if they came into the church, mm. you could just start at the and go around and read and pray and contemplate. It was really a very cool experience. That's awesome. A lot of requests for puppies. <laughs> <laughs> Well, rightly so. I mean, <laughs> for goodness sake, they're puppies. Uh, maybe one more. Uh, this may dovetail with uh, what was just said, but my original question was that, that a common dig on Christianity is that, and you answered that we do it because it's commanded and because it's not a good sign when there's silence between people, uh, which then led to a, a, a quite a few comments. Um, it does seem to me that the skeptic might say, well... But why is God commanding that? Does he need information? And what, we're going to hurt his feelings? Right? And I think there's an answer to this, and that is God doesn't command it for his own sake. And when when one partner is silent to the other, it's usually the silent partner that's being most hurt, I think. Mm -hmm. They're not expressing what they really want to express to the other person partner the other partner just comes to despise it mm. right it doesn't really i mean if it, if the silent partner is thinking they're punishing the unsilent partner usually it's the other way the silent partner is punishing themselves mm. and so i think a big answer to this question is that we pray not because god needs it but because we need it 
Yeah, it could be. I see your point there. I mean, I look at it just, again, very relationally. I mean, when my, I delight very much when my son comes up to me and tells me what he wants. I really like it. Not because I need him to tell me. I know what he needs. I know what he wants. But I like him. It shows that he trusts me enough to come to me and say, Dad, this is, this is what I want. Right? I enjoy, I delight very much in that. I want that. Right? Um, and I, you know, our, our, our Heavenly Father, I mean, how much more? How much more our Heavenly Father? Um, and right, that's how, that's how our Lord begins. So maybe this will be a good segue into, into our material. Look at what our Lord uh, Jesus first teaches us to say. Our Father. Okay? Our Father. Right? So, of course, this is um, baptismal, of course, by its very nature. And this is one of the reasons why we um, always say the Lord's Prayer and the, the Apostles' Creed when, we, uh, when, when there is a baptism <coughs> in the church, if, if possible. If there's an emergency, do the baptism. But um, in the church, when there's no emergency, um, then we say the Lord's Prayer and the Apostles' Creed because these are the possessions of the church, and we are conferring them now on the, the newly baptized. Right, we're giving them this prayer now to address God as Father. Right? This treasure is given them. Okay? Our Father who art in heaven. Okay? And I'll just read uh, Luther's, Luther's explanation here. What does this mean? With these words, God tenderly invites us to believe that he is our true Father and that we are his true children, so that with all boldness and confidence we may ask him as dear children, ask their dear Father. Okay? As Christians, we confess that God welcomes us with open arms so that we can always approach him in complete confidence as our dear father on account of Christ, our brother. Okay, and of course we have the church as our mother, and God has brought us into a family. And um, we, we can see that just in the, in the very first couple of words in this prayer. Okay, our father who art in heaven. And um, I've made this point in the men's st- Bible study before, but you know, sonship comes with certain privileges that you would not otherwise have. I, can, I, I allow my son to talk to me in ways that, uh, now of course this comes with discipline, but I allow him to come to me and say things to me, to ask things of me, demand things of me even, and, and do all of these things when I wouldn't, I wouldn't allow anybody else to do that. No other, chi- no, no other child I would allow to do that. I mean, I still do what I can do to help somebody, sure, but, but there's something unique about, about having a son, about having a child. And, um, you know, that, the nature of that relationship. You know, um, and I, I bring this example up too. You know, how is it that uh, in the Psalms you have people saying, uh, you, you read, uh, you know, shatter the teeth of the wicked, O Lord. Dash the infants against the rocks. You know, how is it that, that saints can pray such a prayer? Right? Have you ever thought about that? How is it that this can, can be? That's the word of God, by the way. How can this be? Well, if you think about it in, in terms of relationship, you're, f- you're free to come to your Heavenly Father with anything. Okay, yeah, dash the children against the rocks, O Lord. And he might just very well look at you and say, well, I don't much feel like dashing the infants against the rocks today. Thank you for your suggestion. I'll keep that in mind. But, um, you know, thank you. Um, in any case, we are freed as children of God to come to him with boldness and confidence and ask of him all things. We are commanded to do this. He has promised to hear us. And it should fill us with great delight that this is so, that our Lord wants us to come to him and ask him things. Okay, um, let's, let, let's skip ahead a bit on page 242. We'll get the, get the first petition. Hallowed be thy name. What does this mean? 
God's name is certainly holy in itself, but we pray in this petition that it may be kept holy among us also. How is God's name kept holy? God's name is kept holy when the word of God is taught in its truth and purity, and we as the children of God also lead holy lives according to it. Help us to do this, dear Father in heaven. But anyone who teaches or lives contrary to God's word profanes the name of God among us. Protect us from this, Heavenly Father. Okay, And I, I think that, um, as Pastor said in his sermon today, Luther is just brilliant in many ways. And this, this is one of them, I think. When he, explained, when, he explains, excuse me, when he explains in the first couple of petitions that, um, th- that God's name is holy in itself, that the kingdom of God certainly comes by itself without our prayer, that all these things happen without our prayer, but we pray that, that it, would, it would be so among us as well. Right? that God's name would be hallowed among us, kept holy, that it would be exalted and honored among us. Namely, when his word is taught in its truth and purity, and we as his children also lead holy lives according to it. Okay. Um, this is how the name of God is kept holy among us. And um, yeah, we'll just read the central thought in bold there on page 242. As Christians, we honor, we hallow God's name as Father when we call on him in faith, proclaim his love for us, and live according to his word. Okay, and I forgot to mention this in the beginning, but this is how Luther in his larger catechism explains or how he begins his exposition of the Lord's Prayer. So you have the, if you think just chronologically or sequentially in, in the catechism, you've got the Ten Commandments, you've got the Apostles' Creed, and, and, then it, and then the Lord's Prayer follows. Okay, so you have how we are commanded to behave, what we are to do in the, in, the, in the commandments. Then you have how we are to believe in the Apostles' Creed. What are we to believe? And then now we are given uh, words to pray. This is how we are to pray. Okay, I forgot to mention that in the beginning, but I did, I did make sort of a mental note that I wanted to bring that up. I think it's a good point. And um, this is how God's name is kept holy among us. Okay, and again, God's name, if you look under the question 251, over on page 243, God and his name cannot be separated. His name includes who he is, what he does, and his very presence among us. Okay, so in holy baptism, um, God writes his name on you. He places his name on you. And since his name is holy in itself, when you have his name written upon you, that makes you holy. You are holy, consecrated unto the Lord, and you have become in baptism a priest, a royal priest in Christ Jesus to offer sacrifices of prayer, praise, and thanksgiving. Okay, so where God's name is, there he is, and where he is, there his name is, there his word is. And so, again, you have his name written upon you. You are holy unto the Lord. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's just, it's, it's an amazing thing. It's an amazing thing that, that God Almighty would write in his very name on us and, and, uh, and, and claim us as his own in this way. Okay, any, any quick questions there before we move on to the second petition? Okay, page 246. Thy kingdom come. What does this mean? The kingdom of God certainly comes by itself without our prayer. But we pray in this petition that it may come to us also. How does God's kingdom come? 
God's kingdom comes when our heavenly Father gives us his Holy Spirit, so that by his grace we believe his holy word and lead godly lives here in time and there in eternity. Okay, and no doubt you've heard either Pastor or myself ex- explain this, um, and of course we're not alone in this, in this, uh, in this thinking, but when, when, it, when it comes to the kingdom of God, okay, think in terms of the reign of God, okay, the reign of God. May his reign come among us, okay, that he would, l- that he would bring us under the rule of Christ, Right, as our Lord. Again, notice that relational term, Lord, that he would become our Lord. He would be Lord among us and rule us and that we would live under him in righteousness, innocence, and blessedness. Right, this is what we're asking for, that this would happen and um, that it would always be so. Right? And again, this happens when our Heavenly Father gives us his spirit okay, in baptism. He gives us his spirit and we begin to lead godly lives and lives reflecting who our father is. Okay? The, my son, as you all no doubt have noticed, he bears a very distinct, re- <laughs> he looks like me. Okay? <laughs> he very much does. And, uh, you know, and, and not only that, but I, I see myself, no doubt, you know, dads, uh, you, know, you, you see this in your own children, mo- mothers as well. You see this in your kids. They, they, they imitate things that they see you do, especially at a young age. Right, um, as as uh, my, my wife was just saying before the the, the beginning of the class today, um, so my son will he sees me carrying the processional cross every Sunday, and so our son has started carrying our broom around <laughs> in our house, and he'll bow and and he's very pious, very pious, and, and it's just wonderful. You know, he's two. I mean, it's it's just beautiful. Uh, just yesterday, in fact, he was baptizing his little stu- his little toys. You know, he was very up- he wanted me to get a bowl of water out, and he was he was he, there was baptisms that day. I tell you what, and it's you know it's beautiful. We we and so in this way too, we start to take on the character and likeness of God our Father about who we who He is. We he, we have uh, we, we reflect in ourselves. Okay, and this increases throughout our life and is completed, perfected even in in the life hereafter. Okay, Um, so yes, I'll just read the central thought on page 246. As Christians, we believe and confess that Christ's present but hidden reign as king is being extended by the Spirit through the gospel. It will be fully revealed when Christ returns in glory. Okay, and um, I like to, um, in the the Apostles' Creed, uh, actually I think it's, it would be the, uh, the Nicene Creed, whose kingdom will have no end. His reign will have no end. In the new heavens and the new earth, there will be no part of, of the cosmos at all that is outside the reign of Christ or, or that does not um, adhere to him, right? That, re- that rebels against that. The entire cosmos, heaven and earth, all of it will be sanctified and live in harmony under the rule of Christ. And that is a wonderful thing to look forward to. It's a, it's a, it's a beautiful thing to keep in mind. Uh, let's see. Any, any thoughts, any, any questions that we, you might have on this petition before we move on? All right, the third petition, page 252. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What does this mean? The good and gracious will of God is done even without our prayer, 
but we pray in this petition that it may be done among us also. How is God's will done? God's will is done when he breaks and hinders every evil plan and purpose of the devil, the world, and our sinful nature, which do not want us to hallow God's name or let his kingdom come. And when he strengthens and keeps us firm in his word and faith until we die. This is his good and gracious will. Okay, Luther um, lets us in on the, uh, he, he describes for us the unholy trinity, as it were, the devil, the world, and our sinful nature. And these are um, uh, set against, of course, the Lord our God. They are set against his reign, his rule. They resist him. And uh, these are enemies of, of the reign and rule of God, of his will, right? And, um, you know, we, it's, it's, uh, I love this that Luther says too about this petition. He describes the prayer of Christians. When we pray this petition, the third petition, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The prayer of but a few Christians praying this petition is as though it were an iron wall against God and his enemies. An iron wall that stands against all that the devil is and has and would use to thwart the purposes of God. Okay, So this is no um, insignificant petition when we're praying for uh, the will of, do- of God to be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is no insignificant thing because the devil is very much at work. He does not sleep. He does not tire. He is uh, very uh, astute and cunning. And, um, you know, the world follows in his wake and so does our sinful nature. And these things are continually and always set against us. And, um, you know, for the will of God to be done, for us to pray this, is, uh, it's, it's a... It's a, it's a bold prayer, indeed. It really is. And um, just to, to say the, the, central, the central thought here, as Christians, we pray here that God would not allow any obstacle to stand in the way of his gracious will, namely that his word and kingdom be extended. Okay, so we're asking God to remove all obstacles for the, for the right preaching and teaching of his word to go forth and for his reign in Christ to be extended over all the earth. Okay, this is his good and gracious will. Okay. Um, yeah, I, you can see this too on page uh, 253 under question 262. What is the specific focus of this petition? We ask that God, in keeping with his will, would never allow Satan, the world, and our sinful flesh to take God's name and faith from us. Okay, and I think that, that just about uh, sums it up. Okay, moving forward then. Um, The fourth petition, give us this day our daily bread. What does this mean? God certainly gives daily bread to everyone without our prayers, even to all evil people. But we pray in this petition that God would lead us to realize this and to receive our daily bread with thanksgiving. Okay, what is meant by daily bread? Daily bread includes everything that has to do with the support and needs of the body such as food, drink, clothing, shoes, house, home, land, animals, money, goods, a devout husband or wife, devout children, devout workers, devout and faithful rulers, good government, good weather, peace, health, self-control, good reputation, good friends, faithful neighbors, and the like. And no doubt the list could go on and on and on. And, um, you know, in the... 
this, this was just one of the banes of my existence, having to, to memorize this and, uh, and recite it before a graduate student at, uh, at the seminary. Oh, man. Boy, this whole list, and it, it yeah, just raking myself over the, just, I, was, I was doing penance is what it was. It's <laughs> having to memorize this. I'm, I'm kidding, of course. But, uh, so daily bread, everything, everything that God gives us from his gracious hand, as you remember in that image at the very beginning, God opening his hand and satisfying the desires of every living thing. And indeed he does. And, he, and bread then is an image throughout the scriptures. Bread is an image of all that we need to sustain life. Okay, all that we need to sustain our life. Okay? Um, Jesus himself is the bread of life, as he says in, in John's gospel. That's not an insignificant thing. Um, he is our sustenance, and with him comes all manner of things. And in God's superabundant goodness, he even opens his hand and gives physical blessings and sustenance to even people who despise him and hate him, who stand against him and want nothing to do with God. God still opens his hand, and he, he provides for them, right? And so, as Luther says, we are asking that God would lead us to realize that, he, that, that the Lord himself gives us everything that we need in daily life, okay? And when it comes to, uh, this will be another confirmation question, when it comes to these, these gifts that God gives us in our daily life, which article of the creed does that uh, correspond to? Which article of the Apostles' Creed does this conf- uh, correspond to? The gifts that God opens his hands and gives us in our daily life. The first, exactly, exactly, yes. The first. Um, we uh, confess God to be the creator and sustainer of heaven and earth, right? And he, he opens it by his fatherly goodness. He gives us all good things without any merit or worthiness in us. Okay, that is the, these are first, what they call first article gifts. Okay, all things that God opens up his hands. He sustains creation and everything. Okay, this is another thing too that Luther brings out in his larger catechism. Everything that goes with our daily bread. Okay, so think like supply chains, for example. Um, the fields in which things grow and the, the, the hands that, that plow the field and, and fertilize. I mean, all, the whole thing, the whole thing. This is indeed a, uh, a petition that is very broad in its scope, despite being very succinct. Okay, very broad. Okay, the whole thing, our economies, everything that goes into that, right? All of that is in view here. Okay. Um, and another thing that Luther really brings out in his larger catechism is the need for good government. He really emphasizes that. And because without good government, we are unable to enjoy the gifts that God would give us in our daily life to sustain us. We would not be able to enjoy these in peace and security, right? If the devil had his way, none of us would have even a morsel of bread. He is sorry when even one person is not beset with plagues and warfare and strife and just is left starving, destitute entirely. Okay, that's what the devil wants and were it not for God's gracious provision and for Christians praying this prayer, uh, nobody would have anything from, uh, to, to enjoy from God. Okay, and um, I like this too that Luther says, uh, it would be fitting for all the nobility, the royalty, to on their coat of arms, instead of having a lion or an eagle or some proud creature, to have a loaf of bread on there, 
to remind them that it's their office and duty to um, to govern the world rightly and and maintain order and you know imprison wrongdoers and punish crime and make it so that we can enjoy the gifts that God would give us in our daily life that, by which he sustains us. Okay, that is the duty of our civil government, and we need godly leaders to do that. We need godly civil leaders to do that. Okay, um, let me just finish with the, the central thought here on page 258 in bold down at the bottom. As Christians, we pray that we might be grateful for everything, however ordinary, that God provides each day for our bodily life. Okay? Um, and I think that just about sums it up. If, if, you, if you go without even one meal, you feel it. You know it. And you're, I mean, especially in this day and age when we've just got an abundance of everything. Um, but, you know, so often when we, th- when we eat, we, we just think, okay, what am I going to have for lunch today? Or, you know, we, we kind of just like, oh, okay, got to eat now. All right, let's, let's just get it over with. But not recognize, you know, we, we, pr- we pray that, we, that God, <laughs> God would help us to realize what, he, what exactly he's giving us in the, f- in the food before us. How he's using even these very ordinary things from the earth to sustain us, right? He, God by no means despises the mundane things, the ordinary things, right? They are sacred and holy unto him. Yes. We talked in Bible study a few weeks ago about contentment, being content mm-hmm. with what we have. And sometimes when I pray the Lord's Prayer, I'm it always, you know, I don't think you can pray it without things coming through your head about things that relate to you. And you say give us this day our daily bread. It's more what God has for you. You know, I may not receive every single thing that I want, but God has planned for me the sustenance that I need. And that comes through really clear every time this petition comes up. Yeah. Yeah, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. Thank you for that. And in the the Greek, too, it, it's kind of my, one of my professors made a point of this. So you've got the the first couple petitions, and then right away when we get to this petition, it's bread. Right, like front and center. That's the first word in this petition is bread. Give us, just like a child. Give us, give us our bread. Right, like it borders on being. I mean, I'm not going to say rude, but just very like upfront. Just that's what I need. Give give that to me, Lord. And that's how it comes from our Lord's own lips. And, um, you know, in Greek, the, the very first word you can, um, in a sentence, can often, very often be in a position of emphasis. And that's how it is here. Where he is emphasi- our Lord is emphasizing all that we need in our daily life. Um, first and foremost, just right out of the gate, bread, give us. Right? And uh, we as children of God are coming to him and uh, boldly asking for those things. Right? That's, what, that's how God wants us to pray. So, yeah, thank you for that. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful thing. Anybody else? Yes. In my confirmation class, we were all given a specific um, uh, verse to call our own. Mm. And I always felt like the pastor that was leading our class could interpret us. Mine is, being the silly fool that I am, Godliness with contentment is great gain, having the promise 
of this life and of that which is to come. It's just the word contentment has been powerful for me since that uh, period of when I was 13 years old. Indeed, yeah. I heard a, a wise saying once, I think, uh, from a, might have been a Stoic, but he said, the only, the only rich man is the one who's content with what he has. And if we would recognize the great bounty that God gives us every single day, he sustains us when we give it no thought. I mean, even in our sleep, God sustains our pulse, right? We breathe in and out. We have no, this is not conscious, but even still God fills our lungs with air. He, fill, he gives us food to eat. He enables us to, to get up every day and, and go, to, go to work and uh, the means to get there, the means to get back home, a family to rejoice with and share the gifts of God with. I mean, if we, if we had our eyes opened to all the gifts of God and we could see this fully every day, I mean, we would, we would do nothing but give thanks and rejoice. Uh, yeah, sometimes I wonder how the, the angels can do nothing but praise God in heaven, like some, some of them at least. And I think that at least some of them have their eyes open to this, that they just see all that he does and... And how could they not? How could they not just give him endless thanks and praise? Right? So, yeah, godliness with contentment is indeed great gain, as the scriptures say. Okay, let's move on to the sixth petition. Lead us not into temptation. Page 269. Actually, I fi- I, yeah, I'm sorry, I skipped one. Uh, let's go back to page 264. I got a little bit ahead of myself. 264, the fifth petition, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. What does this mean? We pray in this petition that our Father in heaven would not look at our sins or deny our prayer because of them. We are neither worthy of the things for which we pray, nor have we deserved them, but we ask that he would give them all to us by grace. For we daily sin much and surely deserve nothing but punishment. So we too will sincerely forgive and gladly do good to those who sin against us. All right. And um, Luther's great here too. Um, he, he says that, that this petition should particularly stand out to us and um, be a check or a curb to all pride. All pride. We will never, as Luther says, get to a place in life where we do not need to ask for God's forgiveness. In this life, that will never happen. We, will, we are always dependent on God's forgiveness. And this petition in particular should humble us. Okay, should make us recognize our need for forgiveness. Um, our need, in fact, is, is constant. We are in constant need of forgiveness. And if, if the Lord were not to do that, uh, we would be entirely lost in, a, in but a moment. Okay, if the Lord would withdraw his hand like that, um, e- even materially, we would, we would perish in, a, in, a, in, a, in an hour. Just look at, just look at Job. Okay, this, the devil came against him with all, all sorts of wrath and fury. Um, and um, you know, if God were likewise to withdraw his forgiveness, his gracious word that he speaks to us in Christ Jesus, that you are righteous on his, for his sake, right? If, if, if that forgiveness and, and justifying word were to be withdrawn, uh, all hope would be lost. Okay? We are in constant and continual need of, of forgiveness. And he gives us that. That is what he gives us. And... Um, Um, Yeah, I suppose I'll just read the central thought here on page 264. 
As Christians, we pray that for Christ's sake, we may know the joy and peace of being forgiven and of forgiving others. Okay, and, um, and what Luther does too with this, this petition in the, in the larger catechism is he says that these words, um, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. He says that we, that the Lord gives us this as a sign right, of our forgiving others. If we forgive others, we can be certain that God will forgive us, right? Just as the, the sacraments of the Lord's Supper and Holy Baptism are signs, okay, seals of God's grace and testimony to us um, that we can, uh, we can look on objectively and say, yep, that I, I know for certain uh, what God has for me there and what he is speaking to me. I, I, can, I know this for certain. Luther says that as we forgive though, if we forgive those who trespass against us, the Lord gives us this as a sign that we can be sure that God will forgive us as well. Okay? We're not trying to, to obligate God or, or anything like that, trying to force his hand or anything like that. Um, all forgiveness originates in God himself, right? But we can be sure that as we forgive others, our, our heavenly father most certainly will forgive us. Okay? And we can know and expect and, and believe that that will be so. Okay. Um, any quick thoughts, any questions before we move on? Yes. This can be read as, as, as we forgive those against us. Mm-hmm. We, we can read that, that we're assuming, of course, we would forgive others. But is there a subtle second meaning, and this goes way back to my teenage years, when we are praying against ourselves if we don't forgive others. Like, forgive us the way we are forgiving others. Mm. That's an interesting thought. I don't know. I'd have to think about that. I'd have to think about that. That's, yeah. That's a terrifying thought. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Pastor, do you, do you um, have any thoughts on that? I didn't hear the question. I'm sorry. Okay. Uh, so, um, I suppose that... If I could rephrase the, the, the question, it was, is there a secondary sense in which this is prayed, that we ask God to forgive us um, even in the face of our inability or refusal to forgive others? Is that As we are forgiving, if we're conditional, like, if we forgive people this way, then I want God you to forgive me that way. <laughs> okay. Uh, maybe I could see, like, like, if you flesh that out rightly, I could see maybe how that could apply. I'd have, to, I'd have to really think about that, though. So thank you for that. That's a good question. Well, can, Chris, can you, bring the, can you bring the microphone up here for Paula? I don't, want, I don't want to butcher it. I want you to... Is the phrase, as we forgive those who sin against us, is it conditional? And we actually could be praying against ourselves if we are not forgiving to others that we're praying subtly, then God, you can forgive me that way too, which is a dangerous thing. Matthew makes it pretty clear that it is conditional because the next thing he says, for your father will forgive you 
if you forgive others, and if you don't forgive others, he won't forgive you, right? Which sounds pretty dire to me. Um, but I always look at it as more, I mean, you can look at it that way, as dire, as a war threat. If you don't forgive others, you're done. But I look at it more as a promise. Yeah. Because the thing I'm more sure of is God's mercy and love toward me than I am of my own mercy and love toward my fellow man. So I say, right, it, Matthew basically says, God forgives you if and only if you forgive your neighbor. But I know God forgives me. So what, he, what I'm looking at is a promise that one day, no matter what, I'm going to forgive my neighbor, even if I think I, I just hate that SOB. <laughs> right? I'm going to forgive him. God's promising me that ultimately that I will forgive him. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I think if we... Sorry about that. Yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I wouldn't put it that way, but... Uh, I just meant son of Bob. The son of Bob, yeah, son of, Bob. of course. My name is Father Of course, of course. Um, I think if we, if we know, if we, if we really appreciate, um, if we are given eyes to see... Um, how, how great the forgiveness that we have in God is, in Christ, um, how could we not forgive our neighbor, right? Um, and that doesn't mean that we just forget everything that they've done, but um, what we're asking is for the ability um, to, to not seek revenge, to, to, to relinquish that anger and hurt and resentment, all of that into the Lord's hand, and as he has forgiven us to forgive others, and as we forgive others for God to forgive us, and for this to, to work kind of in that way, right? Um, was there maybe one in the back? Yeah, I don't think the grammar in the Lord's Prayer is conditional at all. I think it's just as or even as. So, the, so we would understand this, that the forgiveness of sins we're praying for, that it would not only come to us, but that it would flow through us unto others. It's not conditional in the least grammatically or contextually. Now, there's a side, a separate issue that's addressed in Matthew 18 in regard to someone who refuses to forgive another. Why Jesus says that they're condemned is not strictly speaking the lack of forgiveness, but it rather shows that they themselves don't believe themselves to be forgiven, thus they don't uh, forgive others. And so their, their lack of forgiveness shows a lack of their being forgiven. They're receiving that forgiveness. But I think that those are two separate issues. All right. Well, um, just with, I see we're, we're, I think we're past time actually. Let me, um, let me just speak a quick word about the sixth petition and the conclusion and we'll, we'll wrap, or the, the, in the seventh petition and the conclusion. I don't want to leave pastor just with just with a little bit for, for next class. So, um, lead, us, lead us not into temptation. God tempts no one. We pray in this petition that God would guard and keep us so that the devil, the world, and our sinful nature may not deceive or mislead us into false belief, despair, and other great shame and vice. Although we are attacked by these things, we pray that we may finally overcome them and win the victory. Okay? We're asking that God would not put us in a place where we might be inclined to, to deny him. Okay, to fall away from him. Okay, we we um, are are petitioning the Lord to keep us safe from all uh, the devil, the world, and, and and all that stands against God and against us, and that we ourselves would not be led into all sorts of, of error and and eventually fall away from the Lord. 
Okay, we ask uh, our Father that he would keep us strong in his word since our faith is under constant threat. Okay, the seventh petition, deliver us from evil. In the Greek, this is deliver us from the evil one. Okay, but it's still, you know, these, this, this, this is all, they're all one, right? Uh, the evil one and the evil that he does. Deliver us from evil. We pray in this petition, in summary, that our Father in heaven would rescue us from every evil of body and soul, possessions and reputation, and finally, when our last hour comes, give us a blessed end and graciously take us from this valley of sorrow to himself in heaven. Okay, we pray this prayer and really the entirety of the prayer against our arch enemy, the devil. Okay, uh, that finally we would be re- removed from this veil of tears and, and be taken to the courts of heaven and, and dwell in the presence of our Lord forever. Okay, and in the conclusion on page 279, um, we, we see what Luther says here. Uh, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. This means that I should be certain that these petitions are pleasing to our Father in heaven and are heard by him. For he himself has commanded us to pray in this way and has promised to hear us. Amen, amen means yes, yes, it shall be so. Okay, so we say our amen to this, and what a, what a grievous thing it would be if we didn't. Okay, we are to come in full boldness and confidence and give our yes to all these petitions given us by our Lord himself. And if nothing else, for that reason alone, we are to say amen, yes, let it be so. Um, and and uh, we, can, we, can, we trust fully that our Father in heaven hears us. He has commanded us to pray. He has promised to hear us. And um, this, is, this is what we do as the children of God. We call out to our Father and we pray this prayer. Okay? Um, I am thoroughly out of time, but I, I appreciate your, your indulgence for, for not leaving early. The Lord be with you.